So I think today, uh, life gets increasingly complicated, or it may be me just getting older, I don't know, one of the two, but there are so many decisions that we seem to have to take in life, so many things to remember, so many actions that need taking that I think it can seem overwhelming at times that... uh, you know, I remember the days when you just got a mortgage and that was it. But now mortgages are two, three years. You've got so many different choices. You've got to change them every three years. Uh, house and car insurance, if you don't change them every couple of years, prices go up. There's used to just have a phone. Now you have internet and TV packages, mobile phone contracts. And so many things are online now. I don't know how many uh, logins and passwords I've got to remember. I had to write them all down, but... Life seems so complicated in so many ways that uh, I'm very grateful that God makes things simple for us. So I just want to look at how God makes things very simple for us with uh, the greatest uh, commandment. Uh, God started out by giving his people some simple rules to follow the Ten Commandments. But various rules and laws were added by the religious leaders over time. So in my study Bible, it says that by the time of Jesus, the Jewish rabbis counted 613 individual statutes in the law. And they attempted to differentiate these between the heavy or great commands and the light or little commands. So that's really the background for this passage we're going to look at in in Mark 12. So... um, Jesus had been answering questions put to him by the Sadducees, um, and then uh, someone was listening to what he was saying, and it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. If we could have the next slide up, please, uh, Joe. So Jesus simplifies everything down to two commandments. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And just chatting about this to Matt this morning, he said, really, two verses sum up the whole Bible. And we're going to look at these commands in a bit more detail, um, but I just first want to um, look at the rest of this encounter we read about in Mark 12, because this discussion was taking place in the temple courtyard. And that's saying that understanding with all your strength And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So this is taking place in the temple courtyard, and he's probably looking around and seeing all the burnt offerings and sacrifices going on. And he recognizes the truth of what Jesus says. And that is saying that obeying these two commandments is more important than everything he's seeing going on around him, all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And those really speak to us about everything we do or give in the name of God. If we're doing and giving those things in response to those two commandments, love your Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, then that's wonderful. 
But if we're doing it out of other motives, out of just a sense of duty or to get recognition, then they can just become burdensome, distracting, and largely fruitless. So yes, God has called us to serve him, but he wants our service to come from a place of love, recognizing that he loved us first, showing that love to us in Jesus. And then he wants us to respond in love for him and for our neighbor. So we just look at each of those two commands in turn. First of all, uh, love the Lord your God. So in Matthew 10, Jesus actually takes this statement further. He says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And Jesus is setting the bar quite high, isn't he? And Simon's talked about this a couple of times recently about do we really love the Lord our God that much? So who do we love the most? And if we just ask the question like that, we may struggle to say, really, I love you, Lord, that much more than my family. I just want to explore that a bit more this morning, what it really means to love the Lord and what the result might be. Because loving the Lord our God isn't about feelings. Most of all, it's about devotion, being devoted to the Lord. And it's an act of will as much as anything else. And love in the English language is a very inadequate word because it covers so many types of things. Clearly, we're not talking about romantic love. We are talking about the love parents have for their children and children have for the parents and brothers have for sisters. Um, But the truth is we can't love someone we've never seen and do not know. But we can love someone we know but have never seen. We see so much of different people in the world we live in today with aviation who can fly halfway around the world in 24 hours. With the internet, we can speak to people in different countries. But not that long ago, if you were sent overseas, you may go without seeing your family for years at a time. And the only way to communicate was through letters. And I know just my four months at sea on different trips in the Merchant Navy, it was letters is how we communicated. And the excitement of receiving a letter from home from loved one was great. And you look forward to that. He's given it as well to make that word real to us. And as we get to know God, as we study his word, we discover that he is a perfect father who just wants the best for us and everyone around us. And when we get to know him as our perfect father, then who wouldn't love a father like that? So can I have the next uh, slide, please, uh, Joe? So the second question is then, um, who is our primary reference point in life? Um, Is it ourselves? Do we think, well, I always know best? Well, God does give us gifts of judgment and discernment, so we can get things right, make good decisions, but... I know from my personal experience, if I, my, my own judgment was always my primary reference point, there were so many things I would have got wrong in life that I'm very grateful um, that I have God as my reference point. Is it our church pastor? Is it Simon? Simon brings great teaching and spiritual insight, but we'd be putting an intolerable burden on Simon if we made him our primary reference point in our Christian lives. Because his role is to show us the way to the Lord, not take his place. And I just think that any church that 
where the members see the pastor as their primary reference point is actually in a dangerous place because a healthy church, every member has God as, his, as their primary reference point. And then when we come together, everyone is bringing something of the Lord with them to our meetings. Is it some historical Christian figure or some Christian author? Again, they can help guide us, point us in the right direction, but they're only men like us with feet of clay. So again, we can get some helpful things we can read as well as helpful. So again, God needs to be um, our primary uh, reference point. And just one word of testimony uh, personal. It's going back many years now. We, Joy and I were living in Stockport in Cheshire before we came down here. But I don't believe it was an accident that we ended up in King's Church in Southampton. Um, we were in a very difficult church situation that we couldn't influence and we felt we needed to move on. Most of our friends had left. Um, I was in a difficult situation in work. The department I was working for, there were some unrighteous things going on. And I was very unhappy. I really felt I needed a new job. So we felt we needed a fresh start. So I started applying for, for jobs. And I was actually offered a job here in Southampton, which is a long way from Stockport. Um, but when I got the offer letter, instead of saying yes, I phoned them up and said, um, it was actually coming up to the Christmas holidays, is it okay if I let you know in two weeks? Um, and obviously they could have said, well, if you're not that bothered about the job, I'll offer it to someone else. But they were very good. They said, no, that's fine. So I really wanted to spend that two weeks uh, praying with joy, seeking God, seeking confirmation. Is it right to take this job in Southampton? And I remember my dad that Christmas gave me an AA road atlas. And on the front of the road atlas was usually a little sample map. And as soon as I opened it, the map was of Southampton and the Isle of Wight. So I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. And then I had an old school friend who was working in Southampton. He just recently bought a house. And he said, you're very welcome to come and lodge with. And that's how God was in there. One of my friends there uh, was marrying a girl who was finishing a nursing training in Southampton. So we said, well, we must meet up. And she can tell us all about churches in Southampton. So we met up. And she said, well, I'll tell you all about churches in Southampton. But I'll tell you about my church first, because I love my church. And that was King's Church, or Lordswood Church, as it was known then. So she told us all about Lordswood Church and the other churches. And she said, I'll give you a name of a couple you can contact when you go down there. So some of you know, know them, others don't. But Pat and Les Gronenberg, she gave us their phone number. So when we first came down to start house hunting, we phoned up Pat and Les. They invited us around for a meal. And we had a wonderful time of fellowship with them, uh, just sharing together, them, them telling us as a, about the church. Uh, and so we felt, really felt this is the church for us. And when we came along to the church the first time, we really felt at home. And for me, that was a real testimony that when we do make God our primary reference point, he will uh, make the path straight for us. And so I believe God brought us here. It wasn't by accident. Okay, next uh, slide, please, Joe. So who is our priority in life? Um, well, I think a good working definition of sin is when I make myself uh, the priority in life. Sin spelt with a capital I. Um, so much of the world lives like that, sadly, when people always acting on selfish motives. But we can pretty well be guaranteed that we'll be on the wrong path when we prioritize our needs over the needs of others. So is it our partners, um, children, friends? Well, we want to be there for them. We want the best for them, don't we? Um, but is it right we make them our priority? 
Um, I don't uh, believe it is. Um, and again, I say this humbly, but it's something I, I genuinely believe, that if we really want to encourage our children, um, the best thing we can do is not to go running after them, but to be an example to them by making the Lord our priority in life. So that when they look at us, they see all our weaknesses and failings, but they see something of what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And again, there's no guarantee that they will choose to follow our path. But we know they have seen an authentic example of what it means to live for Christ. And that can speak to them at any time of their lives. And I know Jenny, Amy and Tom were very fortunate to have a grandma and granddad like that, Joy's parents, and they were an inspiration to us. Um, just totally, uh, Lord was always their priority. And I know Joy and I hope to uh, model the same thing as well. Is it our work? Um, well, God wants us all to be productive in our place of work, doing useful things. But it's essential that we never make work our priority because our hope is in eternal life, not in this life. And I know working in industry for a long time, you soon recognize what a distorted value system this world has because the value it places on what I do is actually determined by money and profit. Um, and I said before that my salary is probably about four times what Joy earns, but I genuinely believe that the work she does with children in Oakwood is far more valuable than what I do. Uh, we might make a Christian project we're giving ourselves to our priority. Uh, that might become the present our priority. So to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength is to be devoted to him above all others, to make him our primary reference point in life, to make him our priority. It really is all or nothing with God. He will never accept second place. And when I say that, it sounds quite heavy, doesn't it? But it isn't a heavy thing. I really believe it's the absolute key to living a full life, a fruitful and fulfilled life. And I just want to illustrate that with one of my favorite passages in Isaiah. It's titled Invitation to the Thirsty. So this is the Lord's invitation to each and every one of us in this place today. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me that your soul may live. What a wonderful invitation. The Lord wants us to know true life, so he invites us to come to him. And he says he's offering this life free, freely to us. He's offering us water to drink, the Holy Spirit. He's offering us wine and milk. God isn't a teetotaler. He says our souls will delight in the richest affair when we come to him. He's inviting us to a feast, a banquet. He is offering us life to the full when we come to him. And then he goes on to uh, say what happens when we come to him. He says, surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. So as he comes to him, others will be drawn to us because his glory will be revealed in us. That's the promise.
And then it goes on. He gives us another invitation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and let the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God and he will freely pardon. So he's saying that, telling us that the Lord is near to us, but he'll never impose himself on us. In love, he's given us free will. It's our choice, but he's inviting us to turn to him, come to him, seek him. And then we really get the importance of loving the Lord our God above everything else, coming to him. Just listen to these words. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do do not return to it without watering the earth and making it uh, bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. God of all creation, we are. Really, these verses are obvious, aren't they? That uh, we think we may know best, we think we know what should happen. But if we seek the Lord, he will show us the right way. It may be very different to what we're thinking, but when he has spoken, his word will bring forth fruit. His word will be fulfilled. And so it's not a heavy thing to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If we just meditate on these verses we will see it's the true key to the life. And he finishes up this chapter. You'll go out in joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst forth into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow a pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renowned, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. So again, says we will know joy in the Lord. We will see fruit when we make him our number one love. And the truth is that if we don't obey that greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, everything else will be of little value. We won't be able to fulfill the second command to love your neighbor as yourself. So we can have the next uh, slide, please, Joe. So when we're instructed to love our neighbor as ourselves, the first question is, well, who's my neighbor? Um, Well, Jesus answered this very question uh, when he told the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And I think anyone who's been to Sunday school will know this story. It's a Sunday school classic, the Good Samaritan. Um, A man's robbed, beaten, left half dead. Uh, Then a priest and then a Levite comes down the same road. When they see the man, they pass by on the other side. But then along comes a Samaritan who was a hated foreigner to the Jews, and he helps the man. So then Jesus then asks, well, who of these three was a neighbor to the man who was beaten and robbed? And the reply I got was, well, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus said, go and do likewise. So when we're told to love our neighbor as ourselves, if we ask who our neighbor is, I believe this passage says, is telling us that it's anyone God brings across our path in life. We clearly can't demonstrate God's love to the whole world, uh, the whole of the UK, or even the whole of Southampton. 
but we should be prepared to demonstrate God's love to anyone God brings across our path in life. So how do we uh, love our neighbour as ourselves? Well, we can't do it, as I was saying, unless we obey uh, the first command. But I believe loving our neighbour has got to start by loving our church family. If we can't love those closest to us, how can we love those further away? So I just want to look at um, what the Bible says about loving our neighbour within the church family. I'm just going to look at two passages uh, in the New Testament very briefly, and there's a common theme here. The first one's uh, uh, words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, "If, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if having the selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So we notice there that that passage starts by focusing on our personal relationship with Jesus and the encouragement that comes from that relationship, that having that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, knowing his presence. And again, if we don't have any of that relationship with the Lord, we can't go on and do what Paul then instructs us, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. But then he goes on to describe what loving our neighbor may look like. It's about being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. We're to be completely united, serving God together. Anyone who's divisive in the family of God isn't demonstrating the love of God. Yes, we're different people, many different gifts, different ideas, but bringing all that difference together If we're committed to one another, we will really uh, see God working amongst us. As it says in this passage later on, for God, enabling God to work in us, uh, to will and to act according to his good purpose. And if we have that humility, valuing everyone, and if we have that commitment to serving one another, looking after one another, that is what it means to love your neighbor. And again, we all know uh, the needs of different families in this church And we're not loving our neighbor if we say, well, I feel sorry for them, but I'm okay. Loving your neighbor is about recognizing that we are a family. We're together in this. Uh, One family's needs is all our needs. And we want to stand with them in prayer, uh, support them in any way we can do. And I think this is something we're really good at as a church, that practical support and care we give one another, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And then secondly, Hebrews uh, chapter 10, the writer to the Hebrews says this, uh, chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching." 
So again, it's the same theme. It starts off by encouraging us to draw near to God with a sincere heart, an undivided heart. And again, it talks about God working on our hearts, purifying our hearts when we do that. And then when we've done that, we can love our neighbor. And we get some more examples of what it means to love our neighbor, to be an example to our neighbors, always holding on to the hope we have in Jesus, never doubting him, never being tempted to give up, spurring one another on to different ways of doubting. And I ask myself, am I being an encouragement or a discouragement to my church family? And I think just being here this morning, you are being an encouragement to your church family. Because if people don't want to come and meet together, it's really saying that they don't value having fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. So just by being here, you are an encouragement. But if we see something that's not quite working right, do we moan about it, be a discouragement? Or do we say, well, what can I do to put it right? Um, And that way, be an encouragement, getting involved. Um, And I was thinking about an encouragement. It sounds a bit daft, really, but um, just the the last church barbecue we had in the autumn, just thinking about the nature of encouragement. And uh, I'd been asked to do the barbecue, and I thought I'd got some help with me to do the barbecue but I turned up and found out I was I was on my own so trying to get two barbecues going and get them lit and then start cooking um I just got on with it um but Simon and Claire were there helping set up uh because they were there Grace was there um and again she wouldn't have been there if Simon and Claire hadn't been there so again she was being encouraged just by the fact Simon and Claire was getting involved But she came along and did a fantastic job of helping me with the barbecue. She was such an encouragement to me. I couldn't have done it without her, but she took over one of the barbecues and did a fantastic job. And when the food was cooked, she went on to help out with the face painting. Uh, She was a real encouragement to everyone was there, and I hope she was encouraged by the feedback she got. Um, And then all the clearing away, um, got finished, just went to let Angie know I was going to go, and she just gave me a brief hug of thanks. And that encouraged me because... It told me that I'd been encouragement to her. And I just went home thinking, yeah, everyone's tired now, but everyone had been involved was really encouraged. Um, So, you know, encouragement is about getting involved. It's about how can we help the many things that are going on in church? And how can we encourage one another? That's what loving our neighbor is all about. Um, But just like loving, we've got to start loving the Lord our God before we can love our neighbor. Similarly, we've got to start loving in the church before we can love people outside of the church. But our love mustn't just stay within the church. We've got to love those around us. And for me, that starts with prayer, just getting God's heart for people, but also for praying for opportunities to reveal God's love in whatever way God wants me to. And for me, that's a key, really, because I know I'm not evangelist and I'm an introvert rather than expert. So I know I need that prod of the Holy Spirit, really, to demonstrate uh, love to our neighbor so it could be a physical neighbor in your street it could be a colleague at work it could be a friend and I know um, Joy and I were upset a few years ago when a lady across the road died of cancer and we didn't know she'd got cancer it must have been very quick and it was in the winter time so we'd not seen people for several months but we just realized that we'd missed an opportunity to demonstrate what loving our neighbor for a person in need So again, how can we get to know our neighbours better so that we can be aware of any needs and that they know we are Christians who will pray for them and support them in whatever way we can do? Um, Work colleagues. um, 
We've got a small fellowship group at, at work, a prayer, prayer group, and a, a guy comes along sometimes. I'm not sure he's fully Christian yet. Um, but he, and he's seen it actually invited along to a Ken McGreevy weekend to get some prayer. But I only did that as a result of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave me a word, and the word was about this guy. Um, so again, um, God just revealed that need to me, and, and I met that need. And it may be someone we don't routinely see, someone who just comes across our path at any time, that we can just demonstrate love to that person, loving our neighbor. And there's many examples we could quote. I mean, the Hazel Project, Linda and the team. Uh, for them, uh, homeless people in Southampton are the neighbor that they're demonstrating God's love to um, Colin was sharing last Sunday about um, getting a team together to go out to um, the Congo. Um, And really, we know how Desiree, who's now Bishop of Goma, has really come across Colin and Kathy's path. And really, they see him as a neighbor in Africa, but very much a neighbor. So it could be anywhere in the world, but he's someone that's been brought across our path that we really feel that, yes, we want to demonstrate loving our neighbor to Desiree and all the needs in the Congo. So it could be anywhere, and we just got to be open to what God wants to, to do uh, and be prepared to respond to anyone who God come, brings across our path to demonstrate what loving our neighbor means. Um, so just to finish then, life can seem very complicated and confusing, can't it? Um, but let's make sure our Christian lives aren't, aren't like that. Um, let's just come again to... Um, Look at Jesus' answer to that question, which is the most important commandment. Well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Very Two very simple commands. And if we're obeying these commands, really, we don't need to worry about much else in life. Um, but if we think, as we reflect on these commands, well, we're not, maybe not obeying them just how much how God would want us to. Then let's just meditate on those two commands so simple to remember. And let's just ask God to show us how we can uh, come more into line with his purpose. Uh, um, sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things because we have to respond. We've got no excuse, really. So um, Joy's just going to lead us in a time of communion now. Um, but just let us think about what Jesus asks us to do with those two commands and respond as we take communion.